Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first ever fall Perfect Love <laughs> podcast. Um, fall semester, y'all. It's a real one. Uh, we got COVID still happening, um, so stay safe wherever you are. Hopefully, you're just chilling in your house watching this, um, but I am super excited to get this conversation going. We're talking about theology. Um, I'm Austin. My pronouns are he, him. Um, we got Sarah. Um, yes, I'm Sarah. I use she, her pronouns. And my name is Will. I use he, him pronouns. Yes, and Will is our beloved guest who we're going to talk about theology and ask all of the, <laughs> the big questions to. Um, we do not have all the answers here. That's uh, one thing I like to try to say in all of these, but this is a conversation to try to get towards some of those and just to kind of open our minds to some new ways of going about our faith walk. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to get started. Yes, but before we jump into all of that, how is everyone? I'm doing pretty good. Um, before this, I took like a, a solo trip uh, along like the Appalachian Trail and ended up in Niagara Falls. So that was very therapeutic Ooh. for me. Um, I thought I, that was gorgeous. It, it was breathtaking, it was really cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was a whole trip. It was, it had a bunch of unexpected fun things with my car, um, but yeah. So I'm kind of coming out of that week-long vacation and just like, whoa, just like full speed ahead with all of this fall stuff, um, which I'm so excited about because there's just so much creation and stuff happening in CCW. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a really nice way to kind of end the summer that was which could have been a really great summer, but because of COVID was not like a outdoorsy, fun, hanging with friends summer, but mm -hmm. I got to have my good portion of outdoors with this trip, so doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Um, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I got to go see my sister and her boyfriend and my dad and my stepmom in Tampa for the weekend, and uh, it was really nice to see them. I don't get to see them too often because it's about three and a half hours away, um, but yeah. my sister bought a house, um, which is super exciting, and that was the first time I got to see her house, and uh, she has three little dogs, uh, a little teacup chihuahua that's like four pounds, a bigger size chihuahua that's like 12, and then a medium-sized dog. It's like a blue tick hound type of dog, and uh, got the, and she has a cat as well, so it's like a farm in their house. Um, that's so funny. But it was, it was so nice to spend time yeah. with them, and me and my wife got to go and see my dad and my stepmom, and it was really, really nice. That's great. Yeah. So. Sounds delightful. What about you? I know you love answering this question, so. I always so. try to dodge the question. That's why I like asking the question. Yeah. Um, I, I'm okay. You know, I, I did some dog sitting this weekend um, with our associate director, Haley, her little dog, Ruby. Ruby is a little Yorkie, and she is the most precious thing, and I love her, and, um, not to throw shade at Derek's dogs. Um, oh, no. She is much easier to take care of. <laughs> it's much more enjoyable. Um, <laughs> sorry, Winston and Ralphie. Um, but yeah, um, all in all, I'm okay. Just trying to gear up for the semester and make sure things are in order and we are good to go with all the shifts happening. Um, yeah. I'm really excited about all the changes. It's just a lot and it's a really busy week. It is a lot. I mean, looking over the calendar of just the next month is overwhelming and exciting at the same time. But 
overwhelming nonetheless well you know with joy or with like oh i gotta plan all these things yeah. i feel like whenever derek sends it to us we should be like oh my gosh it looks great asterisks and terrifying yes like it is it is both and somehow um yeah yeah so so before we really get started with everything, I, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your story into ministry, kind of through theology, um, just anything you have to say about that. And if you need any more pointed questions, because that's a, that's a long life <laughs> yeah. story. So. There's my autobiography. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first of all, I have to say I'm excited to be here, because um, it is, it, when you ask me to be on this and talk about theology, it's a deep, deep passion of mine, and part of my call is theology and learning how do we read scripture, how do we understand God, and you're never done. I mean, once you think you know God, God shifts and moves, and it's just your ideas about God change as well. So um, I'm excited to have this conversation with, with, the both, with both of you all, and, and I guess with all of you as well. Yeah. Um, but my life, um, I was born in Lakeland, Florida, so I'm a natural Floridian. I'm growing up in a household. Um, my grandfather was a Nazarene pastor, um, so we would go to church very regularly, go to all the things that we'd have to go to ever since I was a kid. Uh, my grandfather was the one that actually baptized me um, when I was a little baby. Um, and then when my grandfather died, when we were about, I was six or seven, um, we didn't have a church to go to, um, so we went to the Baptist church across the street, and uh, I became no longer Nazarene, but became Baptist, because my family became Baptist. And we were Baptist for a while, and then my parents got divorced and remarried to other people, divorced from those people, remarried to other people. It was a pretty tumultuous, you know, three, four, five years of just my own family experience. And uh, out of that, my, we finally settled down in Celebration, Florida. I don't know if you guys know Celebration, yeah, know. Disney World. It's, it's a little south of, yeah. It's, Disney yeah, yeah Disney built the city, so it's just like this perfect town of white picket fence, um, freshly cut grass. I saw it on TikTok recently. You saw it on TikTok recently? No, <laughs> you didn't. It is. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it was the first TikTok shout-out. Yeah. Um, so I grew up there, and um, after all of that turmoil in my own life, I wanted nothing to do with God. I was yeah. frustrated, upset, angry. I was pretty much atheist because I was like, why would a God like this allow this, this craziness to happen? Mm -hmm. So I wanted nothing to do with God. And then in high school, I was invited to a beach retreat um, by one of my friends, David, and uh, he invited me to a non-denominational beach retreat. And I had this moment, um, listening to Hillsong United, um, and it was just something that was like, just pulled me. And John must have said the warming of the heart, but I didn't have yeah. that kind of wording. It was just like, there's something here. Mm -hmm. So I became non-denominational and got involved with leadership and ministry. And then I started asking some of these big questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? How do we read this, this particular passage in Scripture when this one is contradictory? And uh, that community couldn't really help me with that. Yeah. So I then found a youth pastor who was Presbyterian, and he would meet with me for coffee once or twice a month. And uh, we would just have this conversation. And uh, I loved having the conversation with him. So I became Presbyterian. And then I went to school at Florida Southern College, um, and I knew I wanted to do something in religion. I wanted to study it, um, but I also played tennis there, so that was the main reason I went. And uh, going there, it's a Methodist school, so they taught me about dogma and doctrine of Methodism, mm -hmm. and uh, I became Methodist. So I've been through the gamut of yeah. Protestantism. Um, yeah. So then from there, uh, I knew that I wanted to go and become some sort of something in ministry, professor, pastor, youth pastor, something. So I went to Duke Divinity um, and loved my time there. Um, learned so much, deconstructed my faith, reconstructed my faith, and uh, 
while I was there, I applied to be a pastor, but I wasn't quite yet ready to be a pastor. So I became, I was a chaplain once I graduated for a year and a half at a hospital, which mm. will wreck anybody's just yeah. faith because you just see all this craziness. Um, and I was at Tampa General Hospital. And then I reapplied to be a pastor and uh, was appointed in Jacksonville five years ago. Um, so I've been here for five wow. years uh, serving at Mandarin. So that's kind of my story of uh, how I got to where I'm at now. Yeah. That's that's a bunch of different denominations, <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, That's that's so crazy. I have a similar story because my dad was a worship leader. So yeah. uh, I went through probably 10 different denominations yeah. when I was growing up. But... Um, did, uh, how did that shape your kind of theology being through so many different places that I wouldn't say have co- completely contradicting faith perspectives, but are very different in their theology? Yeah, that's interesting. I've never really thought about it in a theological framework. It's just my history. Yeah. Um, I would say, I mean, it was kind of this progression of like, you build up your faith by knowing these stories. So you're watching Veggie Tales, and mm-hmm. I mean, you guess yeah, 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 love me some Veggie Tales. Or you're 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 learning these stories from VBS and from your Sunday school teachers, and you're learning about who God is, and it's kind of constructing your faith. And then there's this moment where it's like you kind of deconstruct your faith a little bit when you get when I went through the really hard time with my parents' divorce, and then going into high school and not knowing how do we talk about bad things happening to good people or good things happening to bad people. That doesn't seem fair. So you kind of deconstruct your faith there. And then college, uh, I studied religion, so it just kind of deconstructed my faith even more. And seminary did very similar things. But then I've learned, I'm learning more and more how to reconstruct my faith through those mm-hmm. different denominations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and not being upset at my past, but it's just something that's formed me and shaped me and it's a part of it. Yeah. Um, so it's just been a progression of where I'm at. And I think it's just going to continue to progress. and. I'm deeply rooted in Methodism. Like, there's a reason I'm Methodist for the grace yeah. and for the gray area and agree to disagree and be in this larger tent. Yes. Um, and that's uniquely me. But I think there's just always this progression of how God is speaking to you and how I've experienced mm-hmm. the world. Um, yeah. and, you're always, and I'm always learning. It's definitely. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's all so beautiful. Thank you for sharing all of yeah. that with us. Thanks. Um, two things. Um, one, you can start asking your questions, lovely people watching, um, because we're about to get to the, the good stuff. <laughs> um, all of that was good, but it's about to get real. Um, and a question for you. You sort of touched on this at the beginning, I guess, but you talk about like the way we approach the Bible and our theology. How, how does the way we approach the Bible matter, and how does that affect our theology? I, th- I think that's the central piece of any conversation about why different denominations exist. I mean, there's different, you have different hierarchies and different denominations as well, and that's part of it, the structure of the church. But I think one of the biggest pieces of, of how we understand our experience with God is how we read scripture. I mean, that's the primary way that we understand God is through these holy ancient texts of the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and how we view them shapes everything, mm-hmm. at least for me. Um, because there are many different ways you can read it, um, whether you want to read it in an errant way where this is the God brief, that this is the word of God made flesh here in this particular text, to the opposite end of the spectrum, it is completely allegorical in how we understand the Bible. Yeah. And everything in between is kind of, that's the root of how we make how we make our decisions about ethics, how we make our decisions about how we live our lives, about how we understand how God is speaking to us. That's kind of the primary way in which we live. So how you read the Bible, how you interpret it, changes everything for me. Yeah. I, I, I like that thought, too, because I, um, 
I went through a lot of different deconstructions and reconstructions like in the past and my favorite book when I was a kid was uh, Revelation. Um, <laughs> That's your favorite book? That was. Oh yeah. my gosh. So, okay. But in like shifting into kind of a Methodist, uh, also CCW, restore, renew, kind of bringing heaven, bringing Jesus's acts and stuff into this world. But yeah, yeah that's, that's very true. This, oh, oh gosh. So when I was a kid, I think I was six or seven, we went to a Baptist church um, and nothing against Baptists, but they had this program there that was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Have you all ever heard of this? I have. Really okay, so it's a play in which you go and you watch. You have you you go in and there's like the the angel of God at the top of these stairs with angels cascading down, who are people who are actors, and you watch a play that is in front of that is like something that's happening in your life. You're driving a car, you're on an airplane, and then something happens where it causes that person to die, and then they appear in this gate and they have to walk up and say, "Angel, uh, angel, is is my name in the book?" And if it is, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are admitted into heaven. And there's a giant party and celebration and trumpets. But there's the other side. If it's not, you have this demonic creature with the pitchfork and his minions like walking around. And like they take you and pull you into hell. And like they had the opportunity in the play beforehand to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if they didn't, they go immediately to hell. And then at the end, they have this altar call of do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And of course, as a seven-year-old, yeah. um, <laughs> yes, you were seven when yeah, you saw I was, that. I was seven. Woo. So I grew up in like a non-denominational evangelical charismatic context. Um, that was the only church I ever went to until I left for college. Um, and the town I grew up in, they stopped doing it around the time I became a teenager, but they almost brought it back would put on this thing called Hell House at the okay. local high school. Oh I don't God, know if any of y'all know what Hell is. And basically, it's they turn the high school building into all these different scenes of like people committing suicide and having abortions and just all these other things. And it's like, then it becomes hell and it's like all people being damned to hell for all these oh things. It's, and it's like, this is a national thing. This isn't something that my town just came up with. Like This is like a program that goes around. And I remember whenever I was like, 15 some of the youth that I was involved with because I was involved in a drama group at my church were like oh we should bring it back we should do this and like we were like for it and like I didn't know a ton about it at the time but I was like I mean if that's what we're doing I guess like yeah. sure it, yeah, it's, it's you know it's easy to like poke fun and say that's just not the way to do it but it it, it is like it for better or for worse it was a part of my story mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. and then it took me a while to kind of deconstruct that and that deconstruction is a really important piece of yeah. your christian experience of what what did you grow up with and how do you unlearn some of those things but the harder piece i think and the more interesting piece is the reconstruction what's the new yes. thing that you're creating because yeah. it's really easy mm-hmm. to poke fun and make some, make fun of something that okay that obviously is silly it's mm-hmm. fear-based it's not helpful it's shame-based yeah mm-hmm. okay but the more interesting thing, the more captivating thing, the thing that people are drawn in, especially as Methodists for me, what is this new life that you can be granted? What is the freedom that you have? What is the power that you have within you to upset the current powers that exist yeah. in the world to mm-hmm. help free others? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I, I'm reminded of Rob Bell. He, he was quoting Rabbi Akiva and he had this, Rabbi Akiva has this saying that any old donkey can tear down a barn. It takes a really unique donkey to build a new one. And like that quote, it's been, it, I heard it for the first time two or three years, two or three years ago, but it really stuck with me. Like, yeah, any donkey can make fun of an old thing. 
building something new is really unique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know we off a tangent there, but so oh. sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That was great. I was just saying that was great. No. Yeah. So you talk about reconstructing something new and the way we can flip power structures and all that. How does that inform like queer theology, which is very like liberation based theology from everything I've ever like read and experienced? Yeah. So I don't know too much about queer theology. Um, the way well, the way in which I kind of the reason I'm kind of a part of this conversation, I want to be a part of this conversation, is the re creating a new narrative for scripture because narrative this scripture oftentimes has this idea of shame fear guilt that old way yeah. and i think we can critique it all we want but there's this new way of life of i mean luke 4 when jesus opens up the scroll and he said i, I came to give life and life abundant um freedom for the oppressed um uh, uh i don't know where it was some freedom for the oppressed uh clothes for those who don't have clothes, things like that. He reads from that scroll, and that is what he's coming to fulfill from Isaiah. So uh, when I think about Scripture, I think Scripture is always on the side of the oppressed, um, always on the side of the minority, always on the side of those who don't have a space to belong. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you can just keep going through Scripture of the Good Samaritan uh, or the Samaritan at the well. Um, I mean, just go through all of these, the per people that are, have health issues, are blind, like they have no space in society in Greco-Roman world. Mm -hmm. So there's, Jesus is always with them, on the side of them, and it's always trying to upset the power structure of the Roman government. Yeah. So I think that's where, that's where I would say um, Jesus is on the side of those who don't have a voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so on that, on these verses that can often be used as something hurtful or shaming. Um, there's there's a couple of those verses in the Bible that are, are used for that, some New Testament and some Old. Um, the one that's coming to mind specifically is the, it's Romans uh, 1, 26 through 27, I think, yeah. if I have that there right. Yep, no. um, it's pretty straightforward and shaming. Um, and I just wanted to know kind of the interpretation the thoughts around that, um, hearing also that's not directly from Jesus, and it is, mm -hmm. yeah, I just want to hear your interpretation on that. Yeah, I guess I didn't, let's, let's take a step back and talk about how to read the Bible. Yeah. So you can read the Bible in a way that is literal, metaphorical, allegorical, um, and you can read it as this is the inerrant word of God, and this is the way God has read it. Uh, God has given it to us, and we have to read it word for word. Yeah. And you can still be a faithful Christian and believe that. And there are some deep, deep friends that I have that believe that. And even if we disagree upon certain issues, we're still deep, committed followers of Jesus Christ. And they just are on that side of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. You have the other side of the spectrum, which is allegorical, metaphorical, that everything is an allegory. And that how you read scripture can be read in this allegorical lens. That it might not be literal, but it does have this allegorical meaning of how God relates to us in the world. Yeah. And even though those two kind of arguments bat, butt heads with each other, um, I think we have to kind of figure out how we read Scripture in itself. Yeah. Um, so I think about an image. Do you guys know the, the picture of George Washington crossing the Potomac? Yes. Um, yeah. So he's on, his, like, he's on his high horse with like his foot up, and you have the six men behind him that are frozen. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good image for how we understand God and Scripture because that painting points out the truth of George Washington and his courage. He was willing to cross the Potomac. Um, he was a brave person. Um, there were other people that were probably scared. And it's true, but it might not be accurate. If you are in the Potomac in the winter, it is freezing. And if you're George Washington, more than likely you're going to be covered up just as well with your friends. And you aren't going to be like this with your sword in your hand ready to go. 
it's true because of the character of George Washington, but it might not be accurate to what might have actually happened. Yeah. So when we read scripture, I think scripture tells us about who God is, how God interacts within the world with us, and how we see God through Christ. But it might not be always accurate, but it is always true. And I think that's a really important yeah. distinction for me. That That's a great comparison because it's like it's a snapshot. It's mm-hmm. how much truth can you visualize in these words like in the Bible or in the picture of George Washington? Like how much can you put into that to show the truth? Yeah, that's that's a really great way of thinking about. That. Yeah. yeah. And and I think you ha- when you reread scripture, you really have to. I mean, things were happening in that time period in a specific reason and you have to know the history when you're when you're understanding these passages um whether and you have to know what's happening in greco-roman world you have to know what's happening you have to know the context of what's going on Mm -hmm. and if you're trying if we try to take a snippet out and try to read it and say we're going to superimpose that on us here i I don't think that's a an i don't think that's the most faithful reading of scripture for me um i think there are moments in which when jesus says love your neighbor you can take that literally. Yes, we should love our neighbor. And there are certain texts that you can. Mm-hmm. But I think there are other texts that when you get into the, the gritty details of it, the word that you use in Greek, the word that you use in Hebrew, provides a greater depth for what was happening in that time yeah. period. Mm-hmm. And that helps you kind of frame, okay, if we're using that word, that phrase, that passage, what was actually happening in that time? And how do we understand that? How does that create more a different implication for how we understand it now? Definitely. And, and through all those different interpretations, yeah. like the Bible has been interpreted plenty of times in plenty of different uh, like contexts mm-hmm. in like Germany when things were happening there politically, it, like it all applies to what we have now. Right. Um, and it's there's that and there's the historical context and it's just, there, there's so much like if you just saw Jesus going into the market and flipping tables for no reason, <laughs> and you had no context of what was actually happening in the time, you'd be like, this seems a little odd. Like, yeah. See, and I think translations were written to accomplish different things. Like you said, some in Germany, some in England, some in other parts of the world, some in America, you know, today you have like the Bible for everyone, which is a relatively new translation yeah. that's seeking to be more inclusive. And so you have to consider what was happening at the time that it was written, that translation, and who asked for it to be written. Yeah. 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 So think about, so I oftentimes, well, my favorite is a CEB translation, which is pretty new, but it, it goes back to the original Greek and Hebrew of Old Testament, New Testament. The King James Version um, was written and was taken from the Latin, which wasn't translated directly from the Greek. So when King James said, hey, I want to write, write this book, he had his own personal agenda in it. So when you read the King James, it's not going directly from the Greek, but it's actually been translated from the Latin. So there's just more pieces in the midst of it. And we don't even have like a whole Greek and Hebrew piece of the entire Bible. It's You have you have one piece of, of Philippians here that's written on the back of a cow's hide. You have a piece of Romans here that's written on something else. And part of it was there was some scribal error on the edges and it was like cut in, in these sides here and had incisions in it. So you can't see what the last word was. And when you look at Greek, when the Greek was written, there was no punctuation. It's just wow. all these words, all these strand letters, of strand of letters, not even words. There's no spaces, no wow. punctuation. It's just letters. And we do our best to kind of interpret it and understand it. But there's just all these different layers of how we have the Bible of what we have now, whether it's mm-hmm. on your phone, whether it's a physical paper copy. There's just a lot of layers you have to kind of peel back to say, what does this mean? And there's still beauty in the King James. I love Psalm 23 in the King James. I mean, 
the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. I mean, I read that at funerals, and I mean, it just provides this peace because of how I grew up, and that's the one that I have memorized. And it just gives me this, yeah. like, this calmness and this serenity. But when we're doing deep understanding and, and diving into Scripture, I think you have to go through all of those pieces, the context, the context in the whole passage, the, the historical analysis of what was going on. I mean, there's a lot of layers that you kind of have to peel back. Yeah. Are there some resources you commonly go to while doing those deep dives um, as far as like the context or the translation, um, just things to help you kind of dig through that and have the right tools to do it? Oh, great question. Um, so one of the things that would help that I've, I've found out recently is called the Bible Project. You can just search yeah. on YouTube mm -hmm. and they have like a, it's a four or five minute video of what was happening in that particular passage or in that particular book. So they'll talk all about Romans in five minutes and it has illustrations and things. Yeah. And uh, that, that's, that's a relatively new thing for me because it's just a, it's a visual interpretation or an understanding of it. Um, I use a lot of commentaries. Um, I use a new interpreter's commentary. So it's a 13 volume commentary, which is like my entire top of my bookshelf. Wow. And uh, it goes through every single passage of scripture. So if I'm preaching on Romans or Galatians or, or Genesis, I can go over that and say, okay, what have other people said about this? What is this particular word or phrase? Um, and how can I use that for sermons? Mm -hmm. uh, that would be one. And then there's a thing called Bible Hub. Um, and just Google it and you can just search the Bible Hub Genesis 1-1. Yeah. And that'll give you what other commentators have said about it through the last 2,000 years. Um, mm -hmm. It'll give you the Greek words um, translated into English. And that has been really helpful for me if I'm going into one particular passage. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'll, maybe I'll give one more that I'm done. Um, the, thing, the way in which I read the Bible, there's one book called Shaped by the Word by Robert Mulholland. And he just... He helps you reframe how you read scripture and how you can read it slowly. Because sometimes we read scripture as like a chapter book oh, yeah. and you're like, you, have you ever like read a chapter book and you're like, I have 20 more pages or 30 yeah. more pages. Scripture is not meant to be read like that. It's meant to kind of like go deep within your own soul. And like you might focus on one word or one phrase for three weeks and that's how God speaks. So that book has really shaped how I read scripture for my own self. Yeah. That's great. That's a good question. Yeah. I just often find myself, especially when I was reconstructing, just Googling stuff and honestly just turning up nothing most of the time. Really? Because you Google it, and I mean, your Google's been tailored to whatever, like, Bible things you've been Googling before. So it's usually very uh, straight shot, literal translations of things. Um, but... I definitely, yeah, commentaries are one thing that did change things for me. Even if it, I think I got an, an IV commentary, yeah. but still it's, it's really helpful. Yeah. Um, they're very big books or a series of <laughs> yeah, books like yeah. you're saying, but it's, it's definitely helpful. Yeah. It takes the time to do it, but it really, I mean, it opens up so much. Like, so the one, the one I love most is turn the other cheek. So oftentimes we say turn the other cheek means you just turn and take it. But that, what was happening in that time period is when you turn the other cheek, it was all about social order and status. And if a slave owner uh, slaps, slapped you twice, it means that you were on the same level as that slave owner. So turning the other cheek was actually living into a third way of living. Interesting. Um, and it changes everything and how you yeah. read, turn the other cheek, pick up your other, pick up the other, or walk the other mile and take the cloak, don't let somebody take the cloak off your back. Yeah. And those three are all right next to each other. And uh, it, it changes everything when you know what that's, what that's about. Yeah. And it's not about just taking it. It's actually a, 
a step against power in a non a non-violent way. Yeah. So I mean that that that's great. Search Walter Wink, uh, Third Way, and he has like a forty-five minute um, presentation about it. Yeah. And he has a whole book, a whole few books about it, and it's fascinating. There's a sixty-second TikTok on it too that I found. Recently. No, is it really? <laughs> yeah. There's like a progressive no, pastor. The second who, like, one. <laughs> no way. Call back right there. That's amazing. No. Um, Yes, TikTok is also a great LGBTQ plus theological resource. For the That's record, true. there are a lot of great pastors doing multi-part series on there talking about how, affirming theology and how to read the Bible. So if you don't have hours and hours, um, TikTok is helpful for progressive Christians mm-hmm. and progressive faith. Um, yeah, that was also beautiful, by the way. I know Thanks. I kind of derailed it a little Thanks. bit with my TikTok. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're, I, I'm learning TikTok. Uh, yeah. uh, we were talking earlier. Um, I downloaded it two days ago, and I had no idea where to start. And I just see all these videos, and I swipe up, and I see another video. And I'm like, where do I even begin? Where's What are the hashtags that I need to follow? What's the hashtag you were telling me about this weird, like, like uh, fingernail on chalkboard was ASMR. A- yeah, ASMR. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google or t- Google TikTok that. Yeah. Can, is that is that a verb? TikTok. I bet it is now. Okay. It has to be. It's It'll get in the dictionary. Part of the colloquial soon. language. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So. Um. So, when I texted you about all of this, uh, you wanted. To, I, I was asking you what thing would be best to unpack, and you told me something I actually hadn't heard of before, um, which is Adam and Steve. Yeah, I, w- I just want to hear a little bit about that, and it could be—I I don't know what it could be—but yeah. I just want to. So I've heard before um, that it's not like one of the arguments about um, LGBTQ community is that it shouldn't be—it's not Adam and Eve, it's Adam and, or it's not Adam and Steve, it's Adam and Eve. Oh. Um, mm. And I'm like, you're missing it—that um, whole story. I don't say that because I, you want to be empathetic. I'm um, yeah. like. People are in different spots in their life, and they're experiencing the world where they're at. And I, I have a genuine belief that people are made good, and people are trying to do that. They're doing the best they can. Yeah. Um, and that's just where somebody is on their journey. Yeah. So I never belittle somebody, and I oftentimes want to learn, well, what, what, how do you understand that? How do you, yeah. how do you see Adam and, Adam and Eve? But when I think about Genesis 1 and that particular passage, um, the word for Adam literally means human um, in Hebrew. And the word for Eve literally means breathed into life. So the, the, the story of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, which are two creation stories that are back-to-back, and oftentimes we conflate the two. They're creation poems expressing who God is and how God creates the world um, for the Hebrew people. And they're not meant to be like literal. I don't, I don't think they're not. They're not meant to be literal. Yeah. It's a poetic understanding of the world and how God created the world. So when God creates Adam and Eve, he breathes life into humankind. Yeah. And that's why it's named Adam and Eve. Yeah, I do. I do think it's really interesting to go over uh, some of the less like historical, literal verses in the Bible and read them as poetry to yeah. see yeah. how that can do things. I mean, even Revelation, like <laughs> even that as this interpretation, this dream that was occurring, how you can see it as an art yeah. and like put this into different things instead of being like. He saw things with wings in the sky being like, that's helicopters, yeah. that's happening. Like, yeah. Just like see it as this art and see it as something that is just as relevant um, to our faith journey. Um, I, I think it, there's power in that. Yeah. And even with, I mean, with Revelation, for me, like that is all speaking about a particular time period, a particular space, and like the number of the B six six six. Yeah, you name, you know people by their number, and that was Emperor Nero or Emperor Diocletian. We're not mm-hmm. sure who was persecuting Christians. So like knowing, it's not about what's going to happen in the future. It's not about you know 
Jesus is going to come back and there's a six-headed dragon and a seven-headed dragon coming out of yeah. the water. Like, it, it, it was written for a time period and what was happening in that time period. So, I mean, you asked about Romans earlier. I yeah. mean, that particular piece about uh, man should not lie with man or woman should not lie with woman, mm-hmm. the way in which we understand that phrase, the phrase homosexuality and how we interpret it is not the same homosexuality that we have in our in today's time. Yeah. It, was, it, it wasn't even a concept. Um, yeah. For the ancient, for the ancient uh, Greek and Roman world, homosexuality was not about a committed monogamous relationship. Yes. It was about power dynamics of if you have sex with somebody who is less than, you are the one that has the power in that relationship. Interesting. So that's one piece of it. It's a power dynamic. The second piece of it is many of these um, ancient imperial cults that would uh, that represent uh, different goddesses and goddesses of the mm-hmm. time have these uh, sexual things that you would do to be a part of that cult. Yeah. And when, when Paul, oftentimes when he writes about sexual immorality, he's not re- really writing about the sexual immorality that we're thinking of um, and how some people would say this is against the rules or man should not lie with man. No, no, no. It was mainly a critique of worshiping idols of other gods and goddesses. And it was a cultural critique of idol worship. Wow. So it wasn't even about, I mean, it wasn't even about what we were thinking about today. Um, yeah. So those two kind of historical pieces shape how I kind of see those passages and it's we all have idols right i mean we we all have idols whether it's idol of self idol of technology idol of money idol of greed idol of um, busyness what i mean we all have idols so it still speaks life to us of saying how do we avoid those idols Mm -hmm. but it has nothing to do with the argument about homosexuality or lgbtq community so going back to kind of the gendering of people at the beginning of the Bible, and we did use he, him pronouns for mm-hmm. God and stuff. Yeah. But what are your thoughts on the way we've chosen to gender God historically and these ideas of using she, her pronouns or they, them pronouns for God? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you go back to the history of Christianity, it was in a patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. So the history in which they lived was just the way in which they functioned and the way in which they best could understand God was he or her or he and him. Yet when you think about the first time that we recognize God as a woman in Christian literature is Julian of Norwich. And that was about 1100, 1100s, I think. Um, and she used the word for God as female. And she kind of points back to some of the Psalms, some of the Proverbs talks about God as a woman or God is giving birth to humanity as a woman. Wow. And, I, and I think, you know, whenever I try to talk about God, I try to talk about God and God's self. Because when you put, when you put a pronoun on, on God, it's... Sometimes it brings about this negative connotation because if you have an issue with a father mm-hmm. and you have a strange relationship with your father or your father hurts you as a child, yeah. how can you possibly worship something that you say, good, good father? And yeah. nothing against that song, but it just it creates a, it creates a, a blockade for you to connect with God. Mm-hmm. So I think when we talk about God, we have to talk about God in this, this non-gender way because I think that's who God is. God encapsulates all of us. Yeah, um, and we see that yeah. in Jesus. I mean, we we see Jesus wanting everyone to be a part of this thing, like everyone to be a part of Jesus's ministry. And if we're gonna try to continue that and be disciples in a sense, like that is opening this table up, that is making it more inclusive and more uh, available to people in that way, to where they aren't seeing it as God the Father or this unhealthy relationship forming like that and just being 
God's self, like you're saying. Yeah. And, if, and if people connect with God by saying Father, there is nothing wrong with that. I, yes. There is some beautiful, like Good Good Father, I really love that song because I can connect with that. But there are some people that it just, it creates this massive chasm to connect with God. Yeah. And I think you have, we have to be cognizant of sometimes the language that we use for God. Even though Jesus was a man in his time period, he is a, the incarnation of a larger, of a, of a deity that, is inc- that incarnates all of us, male, female. There's no longer fe- male nor female, Gentile nor Jew. Um, like, it is everything. Yeah, especially for a maiden in God's image. Yeah, yeah. And one gender is lesser God's image. It just, yeah, it creates a very weird narrative when we do that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the beautiful part about this, and I, I mean, I come at, when we think about, like, when we think about Genesis, and this is my, my favorite passage in the scripture is Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. Like, I think it's just so beautiful of poetry, and I think we, when we start, the starting point for how we understand humanity shapes a lot of what we do. So I always start with humanity saying, we are made in the image of God, and we are made good. And yes, we make a mess of things. Yes, we disturb I mean, disturb the peace. Yes, we sin. Um, yes, we, we cause issues. But we are inherently made good. And God comes to restore that good. And when Jesus comes, he restores that good. And we are called to continue to restore that good. Mm-hmm. But we are inherently good creatures. I mean, we were originally, I mean, there's a book. It's called Original Blessing. I don't remember who the woman wrote it. It's a green cover. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's this long book about how we are made good. And the, sometimes when we think the starting point is we are terrible human beings, I mean, we, there are some songs that are like, we are terrible people, but God saved oh, us. A lot of the hymns. Uh, a lot of the hymns are yeah. that way. And that was the time period in which they existed. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a shift, and at least for me in my own theology, we are good in itself. And yes, we make a mess of things. And yes, some things are broken. And of course, I mean, there are some bad things that happen. But inherently, we are good human beings. Mm-hmm. And God is trying to restore that goodness within us. And we are trying to restore that goodness within the world. So that's, that's kind of my, when I think about humanity, that's my starting point is everybody's good. Um, we just sometimes make a mess of things. Yeah. I think that was one of the, like the biggest reconstruction points that caused my theology to shift in a lot of huh. ways was this notion of original goodness yeah. and like all people being made originally good in the image of God, male, female, non-binary, trans, genderqueer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like that opens the door for so much redemption and like honest conversation and love. Um, And it was just, I don't know, it was really an impactful like theological shift for me. And so I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. So the reason, I think why this this conversation is so important because some people have been harmed by this, um, by taking, by, by reading scripture in a harmful way. And I, I had a conversation with somebody recently who's a part of our church. Um, and, and this person was telling me about how when they were growing up, they had no church home. Their family was very involved and in leadership in the church, but this person is gay and didn't, wasn't, wasn't accepted in their church and still isn't accepted in their church. And this person has been looking for a church home for a while, but never found a home to belong to. And uh, this person and I were having a conversation two or three weeks ago, and he's trying to figure out what the next steps are in his life. And he told me, um, Will, I have to tell you that I've been to so many churches, um, and I've never really felt like I could call it home. Yet when I came to your church, knowing that you were ex- I was accepted and loved, this is the first time that I feel like I can call you my pastor. And it's like, it's like that's the reason this is so important, is because there are other spaces and places that people don't feel like they are belonged or welcomed. And if you are made in the image of God, 
you are welcome in this space at this large table. Um, And I I just think it's so important to create space of belonging and welcome. Um, So, and it it makes a difference in people's lives. It's not just we're talking about in way up here in categories. These are, this is humanity. These are people's stories that they've been hurt for 30 years and gone down addictive behaviors. And now they're finding new life because they come to a church home. Ah, yes. I was talking with Haley a while back and she had this whole conversation with me about um, person first theology and like starting with the way things are going to land on people and working your way back up into these big theological ideas. Um, Because sometimes I think we get really caught up in, you know, the theology cloudiness of it all and these big theoretical ideas and we forget how that idea then lands on people. And I think for me growing up, um, in a church that was very biblically literal and like the Bible is inerrant, yada, 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 the Bible says what it says. There wasn't room for nuance. There were things that the pastor would say and like the pastors still do say there that hit you and you're like, wait, well then that means all these things about me and like what I do and like what I like. And it doesn't actually sit well with people in moments of pain and transition and like mm-hmm. identity. Um, and so, yes. Yeah. We all three have, it sounds like we have very similar stories of construction, deconstruction, reconstruction. And I I think there's space for that in the Methodist church. Um, There's space for, yes, if you want to be on this side, yeah, we love, we want you to be a part of this. And there's space for reconstruction and everything in between. And we can hold these things together. Um, And I think... Though, like, whether it be the old Baptist churches that we were a part of, that's their journey, that's their path, and they can still be committed people of faith, but there has to be a space for people that would not feel comfortable there, and they can feel welcomed and accepted into yeah. a new space. Because um, I, I, the reason I left, I, I left the church is because I was angry and upset at God because God caused my family, I felt like God caused my family to get divorced. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how do I, what do I do with this thought? And I, I was questioning God and angry and they said, just trust in God. No, if you have faith enough, you'll get through this. I'm like, that doesn't, that doesn't resonate with my experience because I am angry as all get out. Yeah. And there has to be a space. And this is why I think this is so important. There has to be a space where you can question, where you can doubt, where you can be fearful, where you can be angry, a space where we can hold all of these emotions, all of these mm-hmm. feelings and say, that's valid. Yes. You are accepted. Mm-hmm. You can feel that way. And I'm not trying to convince you any other way. I have dear friends that I deeply disagree about, but we are still in the same space together, holding that tension together. And we're still going to go out and, I don't know, go eat at uh, Chewy's together. Like, it's okay. Um, and I think there has to be a space for that. Yeah. I, I think the, the validation of emotions in churches is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And some of the spaces I was raised, like it was all about the mind. It was all about what does this verse say? What do you, wait, what is your mind telling you to follow Mm -hmm. your mind? Don't follow your body. Don't follow your emotions because those will lead you astray. Um, and so the validation of emotion was never there and it was often used as something to discredit people in the LGBTQ plus community and be like, you're just feeling those things. You aren't following your mind. Like, even if the scriptures deny it, what you're just not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just what you're saying. Like, I, I think it's so necessary, no matter the church, that people are being validated for their experience 
they aren't being told that their experience is something other than what they're experiencing because it's their experience. Who are we to tell them that it's not their experience? I believe that's called gaslighting. Yes, gaslighting. Um, so yeah, I just I, I do see that in the Methodist Church. I do see this. Uh, let's validate this experience. And uh, that being said, there's corruption everywhere, and there's there's work to be done, mm-hmm. um, and there's bigger tables to build and more mm-hmm. seats to make and pull up. And yeah. I think, yeah, the church has to recognize that they, there isn't going to be a way to just fix this and move on in anything. You have to keep building new seats at the table yes. and keep making the table longer and going back and being honest about, oh, we built that chair wrong. We're sorry. How do we fix it? Oh, yeah. It? And that's, that's like something we have to do as individuals, too. I always get scared. <laughs> I get so scared that, like like you're saying, your life and your faith journey is a process that will continue to further and, and build and stuff. I get so scared that it's just going to be a day that I'm going to run into some, I don't know what generation doing what on the next TikTok that comes out 30 years from now. And I'll be like, those whippersnappers don't know what they're saying. And like, I'll just be like, oh my God, this is the moment. Yeah. Like I stopped. I'm closed minded now. I just, <laughs> I'm not going to like grow anymore. And it, it's, it's something we have to do on our own. We have to yeah. look at this. So we have to sustain the growth. Right. We have to yeah. do these check-ins with yeah. ourselves and our health and our theology and our interpretation. Um, and I think that's why having communities and church homes and stuff is so important yeah. because you have those different perspectives that keep you accountable. Um, and often I see like in grandparents and other people who have kind of stopped their journey and just like said, this is it. It's often because they've lost touch with those people in that community, um, which is just, it's so important. As uh, assistant director of community, yeah. I'll say community is important. Again, yeah. somehow I always say that in every space that I'm in, but it, it just means a lot to me. Yeah. So it's, you know, we're, if I think back to where I was 10 years ago, now I, I was actually 11 years ago, um, I had this idea scripturally that Obama was the Antichrist. And that was the way I thought about the world. And now I'm like, what was, what was I thinking? Yeah. But then I'm like, well, that was just a moment in time in which uh, that's where I was. And even this conversation, this is a moment in time in which this is where we're at right now. And if my ideas don't change five years down the road, <laughs> we're mi- I'm missing, like, I'm not growing, I'm yeah. not learning, I'm not changing, I'm not articulating it differently. And like, sometimes you, you look back and you're like, or you're so hard on yourself because I didn't say the exact right thing or I didn't articulate that perfectly enough, but we're all here right now in this moment having this conversation with how we see the world with the pandemic going on. I mean, we're here now and we're doing, what you said this earlier, we're doing the best we can. And when we look back five years from now, I hope that it's different because we're all learning, we're all growing. Um, And I, I mean... I don't think Obama's the Antichrist now. Yeah. Um, so we're all learning and growing and doing this together. Um, yeah. So I, and surrounding ourselves with people who said it can say, "Hey, I messed up, yeah. and I'm growing from that." Yeah. Uh, so important. Yeah. That's that's yeah. hard in my life. That's yeah. hard to do. Yeah. And I think it's hard in everyone's life to be like, "I messed up." Yeah. That perspective was toxic. Yeah. This hurts people. Um, and then, like, when you're able to say that in front of people, you're able to process it. And yeah. that's able to become less of a, a big shameful thing building inside of you that you're going to react out of and get angry about. Yeah. But, 
Yeah. Yeah. And you you said something interesting earlier about, uh, I think you were talking about how we kind of don't listen to our bodies. And I don't want, we can go back to it. Uh, You know, it's interesting how in the history of Christianity, a lot of times we think about asceticism or like you deny the body, you deny the self. And it seems like we've still continued to do that. I mean, we kind of avoid any type of pleasure at times. Uh, you think the body is bad. Yeah. You, you get rid of this. I mean, even for Lent, you remove some things, which does have yeah. a point. Yet some t- I think where we're at right now, we're having a shift from aestheticism. Of, aestheticism. What is that? Aestheticism. Not, uh, it's aestheticism. So we're moving from a, away from denying the body to learning how to accept our body because we're made in the image of God, mm-hmm. all of our body. Jesus yeah. had a body, so he has to listen to his body. And learning how to accept that and live into the pleasure of life without yeah. moving the far side and saying, well, we can do whatever the heck we want. There has to be this, this middle ground, this balance of what can we do that we do allow pleasure, yeah. yet don't do everything. But it, sometimes it feels like we're swinging on the far, the far end of the pendulum of we avoid all pleasure. I mean, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert that talked about guilty pleasure. Mm. That phrase is silly. Yeah. No a pl- a guilty pleasure for eating a piece of chocolate? Yeah. That's silly. That is. Wow. That's silly. So, so something about accepting pleasure as a good thing. And again, it starts back to Genesis 1 and 2. God made us beautiful and wants us to enjoy the world and enjoy life and have joy. Like we do it in joy. So yeah. like, I, don't, I don't think you fall on one side or the other. I think there has to be some sort of middle ground of accepting your emotions, feeling all those feelings, experiencing pleasure and you experience the pain too. Yeah. So anyway, I, th- I think that's a little tangent, but I think no, that's so it's important. It's a good tangent. I think that just added another topic to Perfect Love Podcast. So <laughs> that, that sounds like another thing we could talk about on here. And this sounds very important to talk about. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we have some questions. Um, question one, this is for Will specifically, but I guess you and I can chime in if All we right. want. Um, how do you read the non-affirming parts of the Bible? non-affirming parts of the bible so i don't are there about five or six i'm hoping they're asking about the five or six passages that kind of feel like homosexuality is a sin yeah the clobber patches the clobber yeah the clobber passages clobber passages i think that's what they're getting at yeah so when i think about i mean we talked about romans already and how that is kind of not about homosexuality but it's really about idol worship I, I, when I would read that, if I was preaching on that, I would say, it's really about what idols do we have in our lives. And that idea of porneia or immorality or, insexu- or bad sexuality, whatever you want to call it, is more about, about idol worship than homosexuality. But I, I think homosexuality is just not the same. Like, I, I, we, you cannot put what, what, what we view as homosexuality, what we have today, on what was written 2,000 years ago, because it's just it's not the same concept. So, I don't say I don't say we fully disregard those passages yeah. because I think they have something to teach us. Because I think Scripture speaks to us in all ways, mm-hmm. but I don't think it really is speaking to the homosexuality that we're talking about right now. Yeah, and what you said like about the different power dynamics mm-hmm. in that time mm-hmm. and how is like if that person was lesser and this person was yeah. more like yeah. that's a whole other thing. That's yeah. just like that's not healthy. Yeah. Like, non-Jesus approved like it's yeah. just like yeah and, and sometimes sometimes some of those passages are about hospitality too because hospitality is such a huge important part of that culture and sometimes hospitality is a piece of that as well when you think about the cultural context so 
I don't disregard them, but I re- for me, I read into the cultural context of each of those passages and really do my work on the particular words and phrases and then look at the context as a whole. So Romans 1 is about idol worship, and then right after it, Romans 2 is all about don't judge one another. Like yeah. you can't take Romans one without Romans two. That's yeah. just like you you can't pick like you can't just pick it apart. So mm. I think I, for me, I kind of just it's not about the homosexuality that we have now. That's the biggest yeah. thing for me. Mm. Yeah. All right. Question two: What words would you have for LGBTQ plus students who are wrestling with their faith? I would say first and foremost, um, know you are loved and belonged in particular communities, especially this one, knowing you all. Um, No matter where you come uh, on how you understand God, how you hear the world, uh, even if you are so pissed off at God and people and Christianity and you haven't found a community you've been hurt and betrayed, um, know that you are accepted and loved here. Um, Knowing CCW, I know that you are accepted and loved here and you have a space here. Um, so know there's a community that loves you. Um, and continue to, to, to wrestle with it. Um, your feelings are valid. I mean, like we talked about it earlier. We accept your, your feelings are true. Um, however you're going through whatever conversations, whatever frustrations, yeah, that, it sucks sometimes. Um, it's hard, it's difficult. And there are moments in which you just wanna run away as far as you can, and that's okay. Um, but you are loved and belonged here in this sacred community, um, no matter where you're at in your understanding of God, um, because we want to be a part of your life, and we're helping redeem the the, the world through peace, um, which is bridging the gap, which is re- peace literally means restoring, um, restoring the world. And when Solomon kind of put that final brick in the temple, that was restoration. And when you're not here, we want you to be a part of it. Yeah. Um, so that's why that's why I would start. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that? No, that was great. I actually had a, a similar question to just like any advice for people who were hearing these verses in the way of uh, casting shame on them, and I, I think you spoke to mm-hmm. that pretty well. Is that continue with this this process, find your community. Um, running away from it is totally fine yep. and like that's great but finding a community that will be there for you and help look at these things and help tell you that you are a hundred percent loved by god yeah, yeah. and capable and can be in positions of power that are preaching and yeah, yeah. all of that yeah you are made in the image of god and nothing god makes is bad it is good good i mean look at genesis good 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 and it's very good yeah and it's like you are made beautiful um no matter what anybody else has ever said about you um it was when i was having that conversation with that individual that was struggling with his faith and about finding a church home i was reminding him whenever you have a conversation with your family no matter what they say i don't care um you are made good period, um, end of story. And we love you and we want, we want to be a part of your life. And God loves you because God created you good. And, yeah. and that's, that's the starting point. Um, mm-hmm. It's always the starting point. And I think if when we read scripture seriously, that has to be the starting point. Yeah. yeah. I, have to, I really appreciate how you, you gave permission to wrestle and struggle. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of times the church 
doesn't give that permission. And I think that's a permission we have to give people if people are ever going to grow in their faith mm-hmm. and come back to the church to use really churchy <laughs> language, which if we're being quite honest, I don't think you have to be active in a church to believe in God or anything yes. like that. Um, and what does it even mean to be a part of church? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's a whole, that's so, that, talking, so about their, talking about their podcast, yeah. um, <laughs> but like, yeah, what, what does that even look like? Church, ecclesia, the community, mm-hmm. like uh, that's mm-hmm. just, a, that's a whole nother conversation. And even yeah. coming back to the church means you left it originally mm-hmm. and I mean, there's always these moments of exodus, of leaving oh, yeah. and returning and leaving and finding a new way. And it's and it's healthy. Like, I know for me, whenever I was doing deconstruction, reconstruction, it, and this is, I'm kind of quoting a tweet I saw recently. They're like, when you're leaving the church, Sunday mornings almost feel like an act of violence at times to have to sit in a church service. Yeah. And it was really pivotal for me to be able to not go to a Sunday morning church service for about a year like and not have to sit in that space yeah. because it killed my body to have to sit there yeah. and i just i think it's important that people are given that permission and that freedom mm. and like yes community is important but it's also okay to go spend some time in solitude jesus spent 40 days in yeah. a wilderness like yeah. you're allowed to have a wilderness too yeah, yeah. For, there's a season for everything like the ecclesiastes passage and there are moments of isolation there's moments of deep community there's moments in which death and dying there's moments of life and birth like there's there's it's always a pendulum and it's a part of your journey um it's part of all of our journey mm-hmm. so we have one more question um and i think it's for all of us actually um what advice would you give to conservative church congregations who aren't open to open table theology who don't have people in the congregations that are open to new ways of interpretting the scriptures Ooh, hold on. Say that. I, I got say that again. Yeah, sorry, I got lost in the question yeah, okay, too a little again. bit. What advice would you give to conservative church congregations who aren't open to open table theology, and who don't have people in the congregations that are open to new ways of interpreting the scriptures? So I'm, I'm assuming that there's like a person or two who wishes to have these conversations at the congregation, but as a whole. My my answer is short to that. If I'm speaking to the conservative con- the congregation and people. It'd probably be to listen, um, to listen to the body of Christ, to listen to how different parts are hurting and to what they're needing and realize that there won't be growth in their church until they start listening to the body of Christ. And that's all I'd say. I'd probably say a bunch more, but that's it for me. Listen, I would say um, if that's not a space in which you feel welcomed, that's not a space in which you have to have that conversation. Um, because there are people that are going to experience God in that congregation, and that's the way in which they're going to experience God. And there is nothing wrong with that, because that's their journey. But if that's not a space in which you want to be a part of, you don't have to be a part of that community, that space. Um, and you don't have to give somebody an advice on how they want to go, if they've dug their heels in the trenches. I mean, there's this, I mean, there's a, there's a real role of boundaries to have conversations. And there are certain things that you might begin that process, but if nothing happens, there might be a boundary of saying that this is something that's really, really important to me, I need to find a new space. Um, so I would say creating boundaries, um, I think listening is absolutely the first step, um, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think that those would be the two things I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I would echo those things. Um, 
And I would also, I guess, say that, I'm trying to find the best way to say this that isn't wrong. Um, everyone is on a different place in their journey with God and people are going to struggle with different things. And some people are going to struggle with adopting and affirming theology. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should judge those people from <coughs> being on a different space than we are in that journey because I think for a lot of us, we were once in that same space yeah. and we know how long it takes to work through that. I think boundaries are important. I think you also have to recognize that you may not be the person who brings about change in that mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. There may be someone else that needs to be that person. I think you take the opportunities you can to speak life and love into those people in that congregation. But it may not be your job to force that because we often talk about how we felt like in our community, faith was forced down our throat and a certain belief system was forced down our throat and that didn't help us grow. And we need to be careful that we don't do the same yeah, thing really, yeah. to yeah, other that's people. That's a good point. That's great. That's a really, really, that's a really, really good point. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're, you're trying to show, I think for what we're doing, we're sharing our experiences. And we hope that others can pick it, pick and can empathize with us and take on some of these experiences and learn from our own experiences the same yeah. way that, that I'm learning about TikTok from you all, <laughs> um, because it's not one of my experiences. Um, and that, that sounds trivial, but we're all learning from our own different experiences. Yeah. Um, and I think not forcing that upon somebody, you're just leaving it out there and they get to pick and choose. Um, it's not something that you're forcing on somebody. I think mm-hmm. that's really, really good. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Will, yeah, yeah. Uh, for this conversation that was so in depth and so many different beautiful places that we needed to touch on. Um, thank you for watching. Um, thank you for your questions that you added to this, which yeah. are so great that led us in so many different directions. Um, thank you to those who commented, and thank you, Andrew. Um, this will probably, I don't know, maybe it's going to make a two part podcast. We'll see, but I'm glad you're able to witness this live. Um, we'll be back at it again on the 25th of this month at 7 PM doing the same thing. So I hope to see you there and thank you so much for joining.